Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So this is uh, on, people can... And the class. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they can see both. Yes. Oh, that's clever. They can see the videos and the videos. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. I get you. Ah, oh, I see. Yep. Okay. So we're reading from Shema Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 2, Ajmil, delivered by the Vishnadutas. Text number 28. Ridav Nato Pictado Nanyad Bandhu Tapashvino Aho Mayaduna Chaktav Akritagya Gina Nichavat Ridhav Nato Pictado Nanya bandhu tapashvino Ahom mayaduna chaktav Akritagina nichavat Bridho Old Anato who had no other person to look after their comforts. Pittero, my father and mother. Na Anya Bandhu, who had no other friend. The Pashvino, who underwent great difficulties. Aho, alas. Maya, by me. Aduna, at that moment, Chakta, were given up. Akitta, Gina, ungrateful. Nichavat, the most abominable low class person. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Srila Prabhupada. According to Vedic civilization, everyone has the responsibility for taking care of Brahmanas. What's that? I'll translate. Did I miss that? Oh, okay. I must have read, I must have read that in my mind. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. My father and mother were old and had no other son or friend to look after them. Because I did not take care of them, they lived with great difficulty. Alas, like an abominable low-class man, I ungratefully left them in that condition. Purport by His Divine Grace, Isi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. According to Vedic civilization, Everyone has a responsibility for taking care of brahmanas, old men, women, children and cows. This is the duty of everyone, especially an upper class person. Because of his association with a prostitute, Ajmil abandoned all of his, all his duties. Regretting this, Ajmil now considered himself quite fallen. And so this verse, of course, is a continuation of his previous statement. So I'll just read that um, uh, those 
couple of verses beginning from text 26. Arjimil said, Alas, being a servant of my senses, how degraded I became. I fell down from my position as a duly qualified Brahmana and begot children in the womb of a prostitute. 27. Alas, all condemnation upon me. I acted so sinfully that I degraded my family tradition. Indeed, I gave up my chaste and beautiful young wife to have sexual intercourse with a fallen prostitute accustomed to drinking wine or condemnation upon me. In today's verse 28, my father and mother were old and had no other son or friend to look after them because I did not take care of them. They lived with great difficulty. Alas, like an abominable low-class man, I ungratefully left them in that condition. Hmm. So, now... These are the uh, thought processes of Ajmil and as explained in the previous verse, uh, Prabhupada mentions this is the mentality of one who is becoming a pure devotee <clears throat> and that um, on that platform one first regrets his past sinful activities. And this helps one to advance in spiritual life. And he explains that, you know, uh, the duty of a pure devotee is to regret his past sinful activities in illicit sex, intoxication, meat-eating and gambling. And that not only one should give up his past bad habits, but he must always regret his past sinful activities, and that is the standard of pure devotion. So this is in that same mood. Um, so uh, here we see that Ajmil, following the proper understanding of those in transcendental knowledge, that we don't blame others for our own bad behaviour or bad habits. Like that. That is, that is the, the, the actual uh, proper understanding. Uh, so there's a verse in the... Oh, can I get a bag of a Gita? Is there a Gita in the house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... In this world, uh, generally, English. In this world, generally, people always have someone to blame for their own misbehaviour. That. In some traditions, they say, the devil made me do it. <laughs> or, um, I was, you know, uh, bad things happened to me, and that caused me to do bad things throughout the course of my life. Um Or, I didn't know any better. So, you know, there are many different... Um, uh, or, I had no choice. I had no other choice. So many different excuses. Um, but factually, none of them are correct. Krishna explains the real reason why we in this material world, in contact with the material energy, uh, as a spirit soul, although we're originally pure, eternally pure, why we perform activities which are very low class, condemned, sinful, whichever way we want to call it. Uh, and he explains that in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, because Arjuna asked this question, because he says, uh, text 36, 
Tatakana Prayukto Yam Papam Charati Purushaha Anicham Apivasnaya Baladivan Yojita Arjun said, O descendant of Brishni, but what is one impelled to sinful acts, even unwillingly, as if engaged by force? And <clears throat> Prabhupada also explains in that purport that um, it is lust only, as Krishna says. So, in other words, we have a very powerful desire to enjoy ourselves by lording it over the resources of the material energy. That strong desire we call lusty desire and by that lusty desire we perform all sorts of activities for our own selfish uh, requirements for uh, self, uh, sense gratification and thus by doing that we neglect all the other duties we have to others who may depend upon us or expect us to behave in a more civilised uh, way. All of those other duties are neglected. So Ajamil, we see, he neglected his beautiful wife, young beautiful wife. He completely neglected her. He neglected his parents. He neglected, uh, you know, um, all members, uh, all respectable persons that he was associated with, all the elders and uh, the brahmanas. And he committed sinful activities whereby he uh, abused the rights of others through violence, through crime, in order to accumulate money to satisfy his life by living with a prostitute, to get drink, alcohol, and enjoy uh, the pleasures. So it was his own desire to enjoy the resources of the material world, to lord it over the material world, particularly for sense gratification, of which sex life is the most formidable uh, attraction. Uh, and uh, in that way, he was prepared to abuse all other living entities uh, and neglect all of his duties for that particular purpose. So come back to that, that uh, personal desire. And Prabhupada mentions very strongly also in the purport there that uh, sinful actions are not impelled by the super-soul. So there's another, um, in this world, quite often uh, people can utilise philosophy to indicate that maybe this is God, God's plan uh, for me. So maybe I'm a natural-born killer, as they say, or, you know, I was born to kill, I was born to do this, this is my nature, this is who I am. God made me like this. That's, that's you know, quite, if there is a God, he made me like this, therefore I'm doing it. Very, very common. Uh, not only do, uh, is that philosophy so very prominent amongst the sinful, but it's, in, it's prominent amongst the intelligent people, so-called intelligent, that their inability to understand why is such and such a person so bad in their behaviour, uh, quite often they will, you know, philosophically think, well, then, they were, they were born like this. They were made to, you know, to... to um, they had no choice. They were born like that and therefore, you know, it, ultimately it's the, the fault of creation or if there's a God, it's the fault of God, like that. But actually, uh, that's not the fact. Uh, <clears throat> it is our own uh, desire to enjoy in this material world, to enjoy sense gratification. So <clears throat> it is said, we, we hear in the Bhagavatam, that 
when there's great suffering or difficulty, one who is very pious, they become more pious. And one who's sinful, they become more sinful. So we see, um, uh, <clears throat> for instance, that in times uh, such as now, we have times where there are shortages. Shortages in the supermarket, there'll be shortages at the petrol pump, there'll be shortages of this, that and the other. So <clears throat> those who are impious by nature, due to, due to their own desires to enjoy this world at the expense of morality, etc., when there are shortages, when they have to go in, into difficulty, they will become more impious. Crime increases. Violence increases. Uh, so, you know, you'll see the statistics. Statistically, uh, they, because of the pandemic around the world, that all sorts of crimes uh, and abuses and domestic violences all of those things have increased. Uh, <clears throat> the only crimes that decrease is because some of the criminals or the impious persons are housebound. <laughs> so otherwise, those crimes would increase as well. <laughs> but otherwise, if they're out on the street without a permit, uh, they'd be doing something, uh, you know, in those cases. So, <clears throat> but a pious person, when they go without or they experience hardship or even abuse by others. So, for instance, uh, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, when people uh, are, you know, suffer all sorts of domestic abuse by the parents as children, some of those persons who are pious, they would never dream of, you know, in, uh, they protect children from such abuse, knowing that they have experienced the, the pain, the heartache of going through that abuse. They protect children from that. Whereas some, if there's some uh, hardship in their family life as children, if they're impious, they will want others to suffer again and again that pain um, and hardship that they have suffered. They go out of their way uh, to make sure others will also suffer. It's sort of a form of envy. <clears throat> so, but a pious person, actually, when there's difficulty, even, you know, uh, injustices, uh, they don't want anyone else to ever uh, experience that. So, <clears throat> now, this, um, so here, Ajamil, he's feeling that he is accepting full responsibility. He is condemning himself. And that is the proper mood. And that is a, uh, the, if one wants to actually take to devotional service or an actual become um, to advance from that condemned position, one has to take responsibility for one's ac actions. So, the general symptoms of one behaving properly in this world, as, as explained in the previous pur purport, that one avoids illicit sex. So that is the pillar of, you know, the, these uh, four, the, the, you know, four main pillars of sinful activity, that one is uh, <clears throat> under the sway of... Um, you know, 
strong material desires to enjoy sense gratification, there will be illicit sex. Sex outside of marriage, outside of religious principles, um, without any regard for uh, the children that are produced from such illicit sex. Um, intoxication. There'll be excessive intoxication. Meat eating, excessive killing of animals, and um, gambling, cheating. Instead of having an honest way of earning uh, one's income and using that income for the benefit of oneself, one's family, and for the world, one, you know, uh, in a cheating way tries to accumulate money and then uh, without getting any real benefit from that uh, money for themselves, for their family, or for anyone else, they just extravagantly uh, waste that money. Uh, so, <clears throat> and as we've explained before, that I know personally many, many people who have lost their entire house, that, you know, either the husband is giving the money to the wife, the wife is giving the money to the husband, they're thinking it is paying off the mortgage, and then all of a sudden they get this shock realisation after 20 years, the, the mortgage hasn't been touched because the person has been using that just to gamble the whole thing away. And then the next thing they know, and I've seen this happen, I know people this happened, they, you know, all of a sudden their house is just being taken off them. And they're thinking, but we've paid the mortgage. No, it's being gambled away just for sense gratification like that. <clears throat> so uh, these are all uh, the pillars of sin. And <clears throat> when one is sinful, immoral, just absorbed in one's personal sense gratification at anyone's cost, these people generally suffer. Animals, even cows, even cows who are, who are the um, extremely valuable to human society if they can understand you know, that the cow is like a mother. We get milk, so many different milk products from the cow. They eat the grass. They keep the grass down. They make the place uh, some fire protection <laughs> by keeping the grass down. So one of the, when I managed the farm, one of the things I used to do, I didn't use a lawnmower. Never used a, I used to get the cows and I'd put them all around the farm in different places and you just put a little wire there and usually they'll just, as long as they're grass, they won't run away. And they would just eat all the grass. And, that's, and <clears throat> in that way, I hardly had to pay for hay by just moving the cows around. And I didn't have to, uh, you know, I remember one devotee after I uh, 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 changed that service and uh, doing more service in Melbourne, the devotee asked me, how did you keep the grass down? Because they were just constantly mowing the grass, you know, either on the tractor or the lawnmower. I said, I said, I just moved the cows around. And that made the place, you know, fire protected because it's that long grass everywhere. And, <clears throat> of course, they eat the, the grass and then it turn, they turn that into milk. And that milk becomes, you know, the, uh, uh, just this uh, very rich uh, uh, basis of you know, so many wonderful vegetarian foods. So, but when persons... Uncontrolled tongue, animals, so many animals must be slaughtered to satisfy the tongue and the belly, uh, even if they're extremely useful like cows. Um, children suffer. Uh, we see that, you know, if you go to the supermarket um, and you watch what people put in their trolley, and again, I know families like this, the children go, I've seen, you know, so many times, even in relatives. Children are going without. They're living in poverty-stricken conditions. But the house 
There's always, you know, packets of cigarettes. You're about 50 bucks a pack. There's always alcohol and there's always meat, which is a very expensive, you know, uh, source of food. And just, a, you know, a few veggies, some frozen peas and a frozen carrots or something. That's it. And then, and there's plenty of, you know, Coca-Cola, <laughs> potato chips. And the kids, their whole life is poverty-stricken, going without so many different things. So, <clears throat> um, women suffer. The whole history of the world is the history of women suffering. <laughs> if, you, if you look at every culture and you go right throughout the time, you know, time, women have suffered so much in this world like that. Um, anyone who's somewhat vulnerable, a person who is interested in exploiting this world will exploit the vulnerable to get what they want. And those vulnerable are children. You see, you know, when the Industrial Revolution started, you know, children were, you know, being sent, uh, if they were um, poverty-stricken, they'd end up in the factories. And uh, so many children died in these uh, horrible, horrible conditions. They're like little slaves. It's hard. To, it's hard to think, you know, as a as a father with five daughters. I couldn't imagine one of my daughters in that situation, with you know, due to being so poverty stricken that the next thing some you know factory owner has got them as a, a slave on a daily basis. Uh, toiling in these da dangerous sort of circumstances for their whole life, basically. Um, so, you know, for actually, for the enjoyment, the Industrial Revolution, a certain section of society enjoyed and a lot of other people suffered to bring about that enjoyment. Um, old men, brahmanas. So, actually, these principles here... Now, according to Vedic civilization, every single person... It's not, it's not the government's... It is the government's responsibility also, but in Vedic culture, every person had the responsibility to look after these people. Now, when that is being done, you know that there's not this excessive mood of exploitation for sense gratification. But as soon as there is, these people, these vulnerable people, or significant and important members of society, uh, are not taken care of, uh, and, and, and they're vulnerable. So, again, uh, in Vedic culture, the, every householder was responsible for the environment, so especially the vices, so those who were, you know, not necessarily rulers or priests, but they were landowners. So if they owned land, they were responsible that that land was in pristine condition. The water was pure, the trees were healthy, the, all the animals that were on that property were, you know, cared for. Um, now, currently, even if someone has a little nature strip at their front, they struggle to look after that. There's a little nature strip, it's a couple of metres by metre, and they will not... You, you, you can go through some neighbourhoods and you can see they're not even going to look after that. It's just too much. And therefore, and you know, even if there's a little bit of, uh, uh, say, lawn in the front yard, there's too much to look after that, so we just put down some plastic grass. So there's a whole, there's no concept. People, these days when we get the strong winds and all the big trees come smashing down on people's houses, and that's the reaction 
of a society who has turned a blind eye to nature. The reason these trees fall down is because they're huge trees and they're planted in this little nature strip. All the water that comes to that tree runs off down the drain. The tree hardly gets any. So it never gets its roots right in there. It never digs its roots way, 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 way down like that. It all just runs off. Even, you know, even when, there's, when the land is, uh, there's not enough vegetation on the land, same thing. Even there's grass there, it runs off too quickly. But when there's sufficient vegetation on the land, it absorbs into the land. The, root, the, the trees, uh, the roots of the trees go white, deep down into the ground. And even there's a strong wind, not, they don't fall over as easily. But here we plant a little tree, it becomes this huge gum tree or whatever. No one ever waters it. The council doesn't water it. The people in the home don't water it. And there's no facility made by anyone for this tree to get watered. So its roots just sit on the top. And then the wind comes down, smash, crashes the house. And they're thinking, oh, there's an accident. It's foolishness. And quite often they will actually plant trees that do, so if they put in a, what say, a new subdivision, if you put in a little tree like this, people will think, oh, that tree is useless. If you put in a tree that grows really big, they think, oh, there's an established tree outside my place. I'll buy that house. But that tree that grows really big, <laughs> it grows into a gigantic tree, which is never going to be watered, and its roots will never you know, get into the ground. And one day, you know, they're going to drop branches and you know, come down. So in Vedic culture, people looked after the land. But it's, uh, you know, it's a natural system and it's in everyone's interest. People looked after the cows, the animals, uh, especially the cows. People looked after children. People looked after women. And they looked after the priests. Old people, they looked after the elderly. And of course, in Australia, we've just had a, an inquiry into the abuse of elderly people because the family won't look after them, well, that's interfering with their life. Why should we look after our, the elderly people? You know, we've got the, our whole life ahead of us and we're enjoying this, that and the other and they're just like, uh, it's just, they're just sort of in the way of all that enjoyment. Well, let's put them in a home, you know, under the first excuse possible. And then, you know, in the home, the government doesn't, you know, it, it's all business. It's not so much looking after them. It comes down to dollars and cents, how to cut costs, make some money, don't spend too much on them, spend enough to keep things, and you get this abusive situation. And so Australia is supposed to be one of the uh, most, I would say, uh, you know, say, well-developed countries in the world, and we have this, uh, you know, very bad reputation for abuse of the elderly, even in the homes, which are provided, especially for their care and protection. So in the homes that are provided for the care and protection, that's where a lot of the abuse goes on. And a lot of elderly people, this is also very common, is that the younger generation, who are very, very greedy for wealth, they actually seize the property of their parents and that's very, very common as well and they end up with nothing. So, you know, but a civilization that protects the elderly, protects the women, uh, as we said, if you look at the history of the world, there's a lot of exploitation of women throughout all the ages. And Vedic civilization is one where at every step protect the women. Because, you know, women can become these days, because, because women 
are not being protected properly by men, then sometimes you know they're having to protect themselves. There, there are you know they they form their own armies and everything, and they're very good fighters. They're capable of protecting themselves, um, but it's certainly you know if. Um, women uh, having children, you certainly wouldn't want them being part of an army when they're you know, going to spend, let's say, if they're going to have two or three children, well that's, you know, over about ten years or something, you can't be, <laughs> you know, you actually have to have someone who's actually helping to provide the food, cover the bills and look after things and protect everything while a woman becomes somewhat a little vulnerable at that time when they're pregnant, breastfeeding, looking after little children. So, you know, so there's, that's very natural. So, <clears throat> um, so this here, Arjamil, he is understanding that these things, these essential aspects of a civilized life, I have not, you know, I have engaged in the pillars of sinful activity, which meant wherever my responsibility was for care and protection, I have been completely negligent of that. Due to condemnation to me, I accept responsibility. That is devotee. So, uh, of course, in modern civilization, um, that mood is, you know, absent, as we were saying in the beginning of the classes. No one accepts responsibility. If there's a God, he created me like this. That's why I've done this. Therefore, it's his fault. Society has given me so much trouble, therefore I've done this. I'm angry. You know. In, I had a bad childhood, therefore it's their fault. Like but <clears throat> even, but the, the pillars of sinful life, they're not even saying that in this society, people don't even say, I've done something wrong. So gambling, illicit sex, intoxication, they go right up to the top most echelon of aristocracy. As I Prabhupada, <laughs> Prabhupada tells the story that um, you know, the Marquis uh, of, of Zetland or something, <laughs> was that? Lord Zetland or something, that uh, he was a lord, English lord, uh, he asked, I think it was Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, or one of Bhakti Siddhanta's disciples, I would like to become a Brahmin. You know, because Brahmins are very aristocratic, noble people previously in India. Yes, I would like to become a Brahmin, one of, known for my knowledge and uh, respectability and morality. Oh, yes, I can make you a Brahmin. Uh, you just have to uh, abstain from intoxication, meat-eating, gambling and illicit sex. Well, that's impossible. <laughs> that is the mood from the average person in the street all the way up to royalty. <laughs> that that's just the, the, the way of life. That, that's not something wrong, that's normal life. We're not doing something wrong by doing those things, that's just normal life. What, so therefore, I have nothing to be, um, that I've done something wrong, that I should feel condemned. That's just, I'm just behaving in a normal way as an average person. <laughs> so where's, it, where's, where's the mood going to come that, uh, you know, and they don't care uh, the embarrassment or the pain or the heartache they cause their family or society or anyone uh, because as far as they're concerned uh, 
it is, uh, there's what we call, uh, I'm entitled to it. So there's a, we have a, a population of the, the earth where people feel, I'm entitled to that. What I did to get my, my little lot of enjoyment, I'm entitled to that, at least. <laughs> so, but here we see Ajamil, and if one wants to actually become civilized, the very first point, as Prabhupada says, you know, this is the first uh, activity. Uh, one first regrets his past sinful activities, but as Prabhupada says, one must always regret. You know, not that okay. You know, Bhaktivinoda Kaur. He considered himself to be the lowest of the low, and he considered. In this world, in this life or some lives, I have committed every sinful activity that is possible. We don't know. We may forget what I did in my past life or a hundred lives before or a thousand lives before, but we have done the worst possible things that we could possibly do to... um, Disappoint, not, not that God ever becomes disappointed, but to literally um, rebel and uh, you know, do the worst things imaginable. Those things which were specifically, please don't do that, those worst possible things in some lifetime or another, we have done that. Like that. So a devotee um, has that sense of humility. That's humility, like that. Um, and so, and that is the beginning. So this um, you s- this verse here. Therefore, there's that verse by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu: "Trinada peace and nichina, tarodivasa hishnina, amanina manadina kirtaniya sadahari." And especially for devotees. In other words, we've heard how Ajmil. He hasn't had to follow all the rules and regulations of scriptures that just by chanting the holy name of the Lord, he's been given full pardon from all the sinful reactions of everything he's done. And that is the benefit. So there's a great danger there for the devotees to think all I have to do is chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, I become the purest of the purest, all the reactions of my sinful activities are completely eradicated, and so now I'm, uh, you know, a very, very elevated person, and um, uh, you know, like that. And even as a devotee, I'm not, you know, that it doesn't matter that uh, I'm neglecting my own wife or mother or children. That's okay. I'm chanting Hare Krishna, and I'm elevated from uh, everything. It doesn't matter that we uh, um, sometimes very harsh, cruel sometimes, even to brahmanas or brahmanis, even if they're uh, sometimes very ill or, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately uh, indisposed. No, no, that's okay. I'm chanting Hare Krishna like that. So uh, here, this instruction that especially as devotees. So we may think, for a sinful person, they should feel remorse for what they're doing. They're all sinful wretches, engaged in you know, illicit sex, intoxication, gambling, something. they should feel remorse. Actually, the devotee has that sense of humility and regret for whatever we may have done, knowingly or unknowingly, or you know, forgotten or unforgotten, in this world, a devotee has the greatest sense of regret than anyone and should have. So it's not we look at others, you should be remorseful. 
if we want to be devotees, above everyone, we should have that mood. Have that. So therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, um, <coughs> Now, <coughs> Bhaktivinoda Kaur says that this verse gives us the qualification and procedure for Nam Kirtan. So if we want to chant the holy names of the Lord, we must have this qualification. And if we want to chant it, we must chant it in this mood, in this way. So to take up the process and to continue the process, we must always have the uh, humble state of mind. And uh, to chant properly, we must chant in a humble state of mind. That one should chant the holy name of the Lord in a humble state of mind, thinking oneself lower than the straw in the street. One should be more tolerant than a tree, devoid of all sense of false prestige. False prestige, the false prestige means I have spent hundreds and hundreds of lifetimes as the great enjoyer of this world, the great Lord of this world. That is false prestige. Um, the humility means what is my actual position? Although I'm a tiny little spirit soul, I have become so covered by ignorance and so filled with desires for sense gratification that there's nothing that I probably haven't done in this world to try to lord it over the property of uh, the Lord. That is uh, humility. And ready to offer all respect to others. Offering all respects to others and of course um, especially taking care of the cows, the brahmanas, the elderly, being very respectful in our dealings with all women, <coughs> children, that. In such a state of mind, one can chant the holy name of the Lord constantly. Mm. So, now in the purport, there's Prabhupada's purport to that in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Prabhupada says, these are the symptoms of one who chants the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And he says that, although he is very exalted, he thinks himself lower than the grass and the ground and tolerates everything. Um, he says, although a Vaishnava is the most exalted person, he is prideless and gives all respect to everyone, knowing everyone to be the resting place of Krishna. If one chants the holy name of the Lord in this manner, he will certainly awaken his dormant love for Krishna's lotus feet. So, um, this particular verse of the Shishastakam that if a devotee manifests that humility is here that then all these qualities are there that by performing kirtan with such firm faith and steadiness as exhibited by the qualities of humility tolerance, pridelessness and respectfulness one soon attains the stage of ruchi transcendental taste and then gradually attains prema if we can chant in that mood, Krishna becomes very, very pleased with the devotee. Like that. Um, because it is our false pride that keeps us in this world. And the reverse of that is humility, which releases us from this world. So false pride, it makes us, I am the Lord, I am the enjoyer. I am the creator, this is rightfully mine. That sense of pride, false pride, um, keeps us in this world and makes us a competitor with God. Not his servant, but his competitor. And everyone else. <laughs> but when the reverse of that is humility. 
What is my position? I'm a tiny little atomic spirit soul, part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, and the Lord, uh, this here, Prabhupada explains here, um, in the next verse of uh, that Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad Gita, text 37 of the third chapter, he says, The Supreme Personality of God had expanded himself into many for his ever-increasing spiritual bliss. <coughs> so we are part of that many, um, meant for the Lord's spiritual bliss, which we enjoy cooperatively with him. And the living entities are parts and parcels of their spiritual bliss. So that's a, that's a nice meditation. Isn't it? We are part and parcel of the Lord's spiritual bliss. <laughs> um, they also have a partial independence, but by misuse of their independence, when the service attitude is transformed into the propensity for sense enjoyment, they come under the sway of lust. So originally we served the Lord as little part and parcels of his spiritual bliss, so we're blissful, the Lord is blissful. But then that service attitude, that instead of serving the supreme blissful Lord, no, I would just serve myself. I would look after myself for sense enjoyment at the expense of everyone else. Then we come under the sway of lust. This material creation is created by the Lord to give facility to the conditioned souls to fulfill these lustful propensities. And when completely baffled by prolonged lustful activities, the living entities begin to inquire about their real position. So here's Arjamil. He spent his whole life fulfilling his lustful desires to the very point, and all he gets at the end of it is he's going to be punished. But the Yamadutas, he's become old, uh, even though he's, uh, he wants to enjoy, he's an old, ill, invalid man. We're all going to come to that point, every one of us, again and again and again, completely smashed, completely baffled. We're going to try and enjoy this world, try and gather as much paraphernalia for enjoyment, and at the end, time comes in and smash this, smash that, baffle that, like that. <laughs> Everything, you know, body smashed to pieces, dwindled down to nothing, strength gone, like that. And what is left is just a humiliated human being with, you know, who leaves this world and, and uh, good riddance him. <laughs> like that, baffled. And, but that's not the end of it. Then the Amadutas, for the sinful persons, like that. Then, then the suffering, the reaction. If it's not the Yamadudas, Yamadudas, of course, are the very sinful, very sinful persons must, you know, even experience some very hellish conditions. But, you know, in general, people may just take birth in a very, very... Uh, so if, if someone has, uh, you know, neglected their parents very, very badly, in the next life, they will be neglected by their children. And sometimes you see that. That is a karmic reaction. You see sometimes children are just completely abandoned. You know, uh, One who abuses their wife, abuses brahmanas, they will suffer in, in a similar uh, way. One who kills will experience taking birth just to be slaughtered. Prabhupada says, these wars, they're unavoidable. If the world is intent on killing uh, living entities, especially you know, those which are mentioned in the scriptures, all religious scriptures say, it doesn't matter, you know, you can't just eat meat indiscriminately. If, you're gonna, if you can't stop eating meat, at least follow these restrictions strictly. They all say that. But the most elevated of them, of course, is the Vedic scriptures. But if one 
does not follow those injunctions and kills another living entity, the karmic reaction is that one is born to be slaughtered. And therefore you get these wars where there's just wholesale slaughter. One time, uh, you know, that they, they often, you know, we often see in this world there is protests against killing. But you don't, you know, wars are bad, you know, which, you know, no one wants war, of course. Although sometimes you have to protect the innocent people if we're if being attacked by those who want to, you know, kill your children, make slaves out of your children and your wives and the women who want to come. And then you have to fight. Arjun, Arjun, Krishna showed. Krishna tried to stop the war. Everyone tried to stop the war the battle of Kurukshetra, but there was no recourse. It had to be fought, therefore fight. That's the last recourse. It's not the first option, it's the last if there's to protect. But people protest, but no one goes to, you know, very few you see them protesting at the slaughterhouses. You know, the, we, we protest, why is this war on cows? <laughs> you know, we protest against the war on cows, the war on, you know, this animal, that animal. We protest strongly. It shouldn't happen. As we would experience if someone, you know, I've, you know, when I was managing the farm, you see that... Um, they're just like families. The cows are just like families. I remember Chintamani and I think Sarabi. So one was the mother, one was the daughter. And they were inseparable. And if the other cows, like the big bullocks, the big males, went and sort of muscled the mother cow so she couldn't get the nice grass, Chintamani would charge them. Get away from my mother, like this. And when one of them died, the other one cried. Tears. They, they actually cried. You know, like that. They experience exactly what we experience. Everyone knows, people who have pets, dogs and cats, they treat them like one of the family. Vedically, a pet is considered a member of the family. <laughs> so... But everyone knows, they have these personalities. They cry, they feel sad. If, if, if their young ones are, you know, you, you see birds. You, you know, if you're driving down the road and one bird has been killed, the partner will come and try and, you know, or injured. The other bird will risk itself coming in front of trucks and cars to try and drag the other one off the road, exactly as we would. That's my partner. I don't. You see it. I've seen it so many times. We protest that they, they're killed because they had the same feelings that we do. We protest against that. Why does anyone need to kill animals when there's so much to eat without killing? That, you know, we can have the milk products mixed with the grains, mixed with the legumes, and, and you get the whole proteins. It's scientifically proven that actually vegetarians have a greater strength than meat eaters. They have a, a greater strength in the long-term endurance. If we want to lift up a boulder, you know, like this, but who needs to lift up a boulder? Just get a tractor. But, you know, if you need to do, get in your backyard and do some landscaping for a, a couple of weeks, you'll do it on a vegetarian diet. If you need to lift a boulder, get a tractor. <laughs> You know, so we protest. It's unnecessary, and the meat-based diet causes other people in this world to go without food because it's it's it, it exhausts our water supply unnecessarily. It exhausts land. It destroys land. The whole process. So, um, this uh, uh, Krishna consciousness movement 
we are teaching people that this uh, nature where we are forced to act sinfully, forced to act in such a way that other people suffer. We know they're suffering, because, but we can't stop someone's gambling. I know this is causing trouble to everyone, but I can't stop. Someone's having illicit sex. I know this is going to destroy my family. It's going to destroy the royal family. It's going to destroy whatever. But I can't stop. If one, if one uh, hears the Bhagavad Gita and understands, I'm an eternal spirit soul, and when I'm in association with the supreme soul, the personality of Godhead, I get this powerful spiritual intelligence which controls my mind and senses and gives me transcendental bliss whereby I am no longer forced to act under lust commit sinful activities and cause innocent people who I should be protecting and caring for to suffer like that and the presence of the personality of Godhead is there in his holy name we can associate with him just by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. If we chant the holy names of the Lord, all over the world, people chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and they eat Krishna Bishadam, they read the Bhagavad Gita and they feel the presence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead immediately. And as I always like to, you know, I'm a living example. The day I joined the Krishna consciousness movement, that day I was eating meat, smoking cigarettes, taking all varieties of different intoxications, uh, gambling, <laughs> the whole range. And then when I saw the devotees, I came back to the temple and I never left, and I gave up those bad habits that day. And I gave them up easily because I chanted Hare Krishna and ate Krishna Prasadam. It was so easy. It was a miracle. And I, I always, I've always understood from that. It's not like some philosophy there. It's a practical application. You chant Hare Krishna, you eat Krishna Prasadam, you associate with devotees, you hear the topics of Krishna. And when you hear the topics of Krishna, you hear about the Lord's blissful, loving mood and relationship and activities with the devotees. And you think, I want some of that love. I want to, that's, that's the enjoyment of the soul, pure love. Not the lust and the sense gratification and, you know, of this material world in the name of love. So this process we recommend to everyone in the whole world. It will burn up the karmic reactions to one's sinful activities and then one can start to begin to come back to their senses and feel a little remorseful. What have I done? How many people have I hurt? What damage have I done by my, you know, you know, trying to just uh, live a life of sense gratification? One will come to one's senses, and that is the beginning point that then one can progress. And if one chants in that mood, in that humble state always, that, you know, <clears throat> if one becomes, even as a devotee, if one again allows the seeds of this sense gratification to enter into one's spiritual life, pride, I am a big devotee. I have done so much. I am so respectable. I'm so well known. I'm known all over the world. And because I'm a big devotee, this facility is mostly under my control. And I am the prime enjoyer like this. I should be the centre of attention. <laughs> so we always, that humility protects us 
from again because that Ajmil he was from his uh, you know birth he was born in a Brahmin family and trained to worship the Narayan Shila to worship uh, the Lord and to uh, you know do all sorts of uh, activities but <clears throat> if one is not maintaining one's Krishna consciousness and Krishna consciousness means I am the eternal servant of the personality of Godhead he is the supreme enjoyer I'm his servant he is the supreme proprietor I'm not the controller I'm his servant and he is the real friend if I can give people Krishna's friendship that is uh, I am not the, you know, the, the supreme, say, liberator or benedictor or, you know, person who can assist everyone in this world. The only thing I can do is give people Krishna and he is their real friend. He is the one who can help them like that. So, as devotees especially, otherwise, like Ajmil and, unfortunately... Like many, many devotees in the past who become a little proud and stop chanting in a humble state of mind, again, as Prabhupada says, the material energy, um, Prabhupada says, you play with Maya, she'll kill you. <laughs> She's in like a needle and out like a plough. I just, you know... I'm such a big devotee, a little bit of Maya is not going to affect me. <laughs> but we're not a big devotee. We're a tiny little servant. Always, you know, and this is the glory of Prabhupada's life. From the beginning to the end, Prabhupada always glorified. You know, people say that I've done this wonderful thing like this. No, I've not done anything. I'm just trying to offer some service to fulfill the desire of my spiritual master. That's it. I haven't done anything wonderful. I don't. So, uh, we should never try to be a big devotee, but we can try to be a pure devotee. And a pure devotee means I don't want to be a big devotee, I want to be a very pleasing servant of my spiritual master and of the Vaishnavas, like that. So this is um, some nice meditations for us. I'll just leave it there if anyone has any questions or comments. Thank you. All good? Hare Krishna.